Hey, Amir. Hey, Pshamak. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. So uh, we've got Slavoj Žižek on today by uh, <laughs> by, by fractured satellite feed. <laughs> by very low quality Zoom stream. <laughs> Funnily uh, enough, th- this is the very last time I'll be recording above ground. I'm, uh, I'm going into my bunker starting tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I plan on staying there until uh, it is safe to reemerge after November fourth. Is that where they're where they're doing uh, your upper endoscopy? Oh, perhaps. I don't know if that's still happening with the uh, NYPD having told all business owners to board up in preparation of the election and riots and stuff like that. And my upper endoscopy procedure is planned for like the day after the election. I don't know if it still goes without saying that the appointment still stands. Uh, I plan on showing up, though. Could you imagine if somebody, I don't know, bombarded their way into your procedure room <laughs> when you're like half uh, half asleep? Like those uh, street side diners in Philadelphia or something like that that were approached by uh, BLM protesters and were like, you know, forced to like recant or like apologize for their ancestral sins or something like that and they just wanted to finish their hamburgers oh god well rightfully so i didn't see that but i'll i'll check it out yeah did Uh, you uh celebrate halloween over the weekend uh no it's everything's just like in full muted sorry it's muted globally (laughs) yeah i was gonna say we're not in full lockdown but there was like a full halloween lockdown granted i live in a a small village but uh last year there were trick-or-treaters and there were trick-or-treaters the year before and you know it's just uh we're living through a difficult time right now so Mm -hmm. Uh, so uh you you didn't dress up this year no (laughs) costumes for you no i didn't I was actually uh, gallery hopping. Well, I just saw two shows, but <laughs> I was gallery hopping, quote unquote, in Chelsea over the weekend. And I saw this really cute kid in like a full body shark costume. Oh. And I just pointed out to him the fact that he's just the coolest kid ever oh, uh, so in cute. this shark costume. And it was so happy. Did, um, you, did you dress up Kasha as anything? Actually, we didn't. We really didn't do anything this year. My old studio space... Uh, in Gowanus has this uh, like annual fundraiser. It's mm-hmm. a big uh, Halloween party, but of course they it had to uh, be canceled this year. Um, so I didn't get a chance to uh, dress up either as a uh, slutty pole worker, <laughs> slutty RBG. Wait, I have a whole list of options here: slutty Nate Silver, <laughs> slutty Rachel Maddow, slutty Deborah Burks. <laughs> 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 oh my god i did I, d- I did a successfully early vote though um <laughs> yeah in spite of my um aggressive complaints uh, in the last recordings i actually i just crowdsourced it i like tagged a, a bunch like uh local state officials on <laughs> on uh, twitter complaining that like it's just impossible to have to wait four hours online to early vote in park slope and some uh, very friendly people started chiming in and told me that all these like local Park Slope Facebook groups groups uh, were like constantly posting the average waiting times. Oh my god! 
Uh, so I just went online and saw at like a certain point, like 1.30 p.m. that there's no line and I just zipped over. And uh, you know what they say, the early vote gets the worm out <laughs> of the White House. So let's just wait and see. Yeah. yeah. Count, countdown begins. What's, uh, what's it look it looks like in uh, Poland? How's uh, the mood? Well, so I went to another protest people are mm -hmm. it's really picking up speed people are really engaging people have had it with the government in your area uh every, I, yeah the protest was in my area in this town that's 15 minutes away and it's a town of 14,000 people in the town proper and you know there's a bunch of villages around and all that but i'm sure there's m less than 14,000 people that actually live there because we're close to the border so there's a lot of people that live uh or sorry, you know, like live and work in Germany and things like that, but maybe they're still registered mm -hmm. as, as living in Poland. Uh, so yeah. And in, in kind of like a typical small town, it was hundreds upon hundreds of people, like a long sea of people stretching down the street, mm -hmm. uh, kind of marching through the town. And, uh, there was no drama. People along the way were very supportive. There were kind of local businesses, you know, with signs saying we support you, things like that. And, mm -hmm. uh, no, were there any uh, unattractive, uh, uh, thugs trying to shut down the protest? Oh yeah. There was like not trying to shut, shut it down. But before we started, there was this guy that was making a gesture that we're crazy, you know, kind of like pointing at his head kind of thing. And mm -hmm. I yelled at him, there's more of us than you. Mm -hmm. And it, and it actually worked. He was embarrassed. He was ridiculed in front of all these people. And then was he an outsider. <laughs> I think he was an was insider. He, a, he, he wasn't yeah. an, uh, he wasn't an imported right winger or anything. Uh, he wasn't, he wasn't paid by George Soros <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> well, so that's, I'm surprised the George Soros thing hasn't come up yet. Um, mm -hmm. But there's this whole trope with the right-wing people saying that all of this protesting is uh, German Antifa. <laughs> what, is, what does that look like if you had to compare it to the American uh, fra faction? Um, well, I feel like the German one has is like actually a thing, whereas, like, I don't know, mm -hmm. like... Yes, we know it means like anti-fascist, but I think it's been kind of a thing longer in Germany than in the U.S. Like I think it, yeah. the the U.S. Antifa thing is more like uh, made up. <laughs> yeah, like made up by Trump. Um, yeah. There obviously are anti-fascist people who are at protests, but it seems more like uh, I don't know. I remember going to like the vegan restaurant in Winnipeg in university <laughs> and those were like, uh, you know, vegan anarchists and stuff, but it wasn't like we're Antifa and, uh, was it poorly ventilated in there? In the uh, vegan restaurant? actually it kind of was. And then they improved the ventilation and they had amazing, uh, <laughs> Southern fried tofu sandwiches. <laughs> I'm only asking because when you just you mention a vegan restaurant and it just sends me back to uh to Berlin and all its uh, vegan establishments that are essentially you know converted storefronts yeah. with zero regard to uh flow of air. I just wish you could have seen this place though. It was called Mondragon 
and, <laughs> and uh, it was like a skit from Portlandia. It was like like a feminist bookstore kind of expanded, you know, um, like a there's pl- the re- placenta tea. <laughs> and that's where one of my professors could be easily found during the evening. Dr. Henry Heller, a noted mm-hmm. leftist uh, radical. Uh, yeah. When, during, uh, yeah. No, ju- I was just going to say during lectures, his, his stomach would often pop out of his sweater. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was so good. Oh my god. Uh when I still lived on uh, on the Lower East Side on Allen Street, I used to uh when when they were still alive and he could do stuff, I used to take my uh, father-in-law to these like book readings and other like small-scale events at Blue Stockings, this like <laughs> radical non-for-profit uh bookstore on on Allen Street and they had like I guess one uh, one talk we went to was about like uh, like the CIA, actually, that's when I discovered the CIA's uh, uh, introduction of uh, hallucinatory drugs into the culture via, uh, you know, the big uh, cultural acts like uh, mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix and Rolling Stones and stuff like that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, which also reminds me of that time I went to see Amy Goodman talk at uh, McNally Jackson with, uh, what's his name from uh, Lord of the Rings, Vigo. Oh, my God. <laughs> Viggo Mortensen, I guess he's like a, he's a Greta Thunberg like style activist, and I went to see them talk a couple of years ago, and I was actually pretty starstruck, and there was not a lot of aggressive throat clearings. I was gonna say from As one to ten, expect, how much th- throat clearing was there? I feel like I'll be doing more throat clearing on this <laughs> pod today than Amy uh, was doing it that evening. Um, she's uh yeah, I love her, my uh, activist millionaire. Amy, <laughs> inspo of the pod. Yeah, she's a pain. Tr- pain- God, I can't speak. <laughs> I need a, I need a recall drop. See, it's like same thing. <laughs> I just can't verbalize anything. It's contagious. <laughs> it's the Amy Goodman uh, COVID stream. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, she's a pain, a patron saint. <laughs> of fucking thoughts on art there we go (laughs) didn't you tell me you used to listen to uh democracy uh democracy now with your uh ex-boyfriend yeah with my first my first ex he would put it on constantly and this was like peak like iraq war going into financial crisis meltdown era of democracy (laughs) now so you know it was good (laughs) yeah it's. I mean, I used to love it, and it's still one of the most like well researched and well like better intended uh, journalism outputs uh, outlets out there. Yeah, it's just that everything totally gets lost in the fray at this point. Um, yeah, I really. I guess in the Trump era, I haven't listened to it much, like maybe only a few times, because mm-hmm. I feel like there's already all of that going on in all other kind of uh media outlets whereas uh you know like iraq war financial crisis era people weren't being as critical Mm -hmm. so it was like a really good source at that time for those stories just they have a knack for uh you know focusing on things that otherwise don't get a lot of uh attention in the in the mainstream media such as uh 
pipelines I don't know, like yeah pipelines and stuff like that and i feel like trump has just you know completely flooded the field with his bullshit and nonsense that it's really difficult to not focus on anything that's not driven by his exactly like insanity um maybe there will be a amy goodman renaissance after uh tomorrow <laughs> fingers crossed uh, gets voted out. Yeah. I, I have had it yeah i have, I have had, had it. it too like uh, she has had it. Okay. Like, she has had it. That's my favorite, uh, Instagram account. She has had it. So check it out. Yeah. Um, okay. Now on a brighter note, did you listen to, <laughs> did you listen to the new, uh, Ari album positions? Um, honestly, I've never been a fan and you know me, I love pop music and if it's good, I ask no questions. But I just never got into her. I'm I'm not even gonna make the case against Ariana Grande because I like I could go either way. But she's just never excited me. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna leave the stage to you <laughs> to talk about uh, it. <laughs> okay. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Ariana Grande dropped her new album, Positions. Uh, she's kind of I guess on the Rihanna train of an album every year right now. Uh, so I'm wondering, is she in a shady business deal where she's trying to make back her money? Uh, so I guess my mini review of positions is I love the title track. Um, but is that the single, the first single that came out? Yeah, with the video where she's like president or whatever. Oh, yeah. I uh, sort of like that. We played it in the car a couple of times. I enjoyed it. Yeah, so I like that song. And actually, when the video came out, I didn't even check it out, but... Now that the album's on Spotify, I started listening, and Positions is my favorite song. And uh, I just want to say, Jordan, don't kill me, but where are the bangers? <laughs> uh, what, what are bangers good for these days, anyways? <laughs> okay, well, look, I love slow jams, and I love to grind and pop my can, believe it or not. Uh <laughs> When but, you're home alone. Yeah, when I'm home alone. I could have a date, you never know. But uh true. but where's my seven rings, God is a woman, into you, side by side? I'm not I don't done. even know any of these songs. <laughs> you know them. Jordan plays them in the car. Dangerous yeah. Woman, One More Time, Break Free. I want bangers <laughs> like that. Okay. So this I I like R&B. This is just uh, a bit too mellow for me right now, this time of year. So Wait, on, on a side note, have you ever considered like having a, <clears throat> uh, hosting a COVID rave <laughs> in your backyard? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like that won't My, even be that risky or dangerous. It's true. I just don't know if there's enough people. <laughs> or as the Germans like to call it, open air. Oh, God. An open air. Um, um, just, just to say one more thing about the bangers or just the like one hit wonder within the context of a, a whole album, I've been enjoying uh, Miley Cyrus's endless teaser of uh, Midnight Sky of the upcoming album. Oh, totally. Um, and also my uh, my boyfriend, my my uh, the other woman, Sean Mendez's <laughs> wonder. <laughs> I really like that song. I really enjoy it. And I like, I love, I love the idea of Sean Mendes more than I like the music, 
I've like tried listening to uh, his whatever three albums uh, on a few occasions, but it's just like I guess I'm I'm not twelve. And so it doesn't stick, but I really like the new song. I don't know. I guess something happened to him um, during lockdown with his now former beard. <laughs> I was going to say, is he still with his top? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where's Nick Jonas when you uh, need some clarification? Uh, I, I don't know. I, this is also just a, an odd new trend of... Uh, an album release date like very far in the future with a single release that just keeps getting pumped in the radio for like months on months i don't understand yeah. that you know which uh, sean mendes song i like um treat you better i don't even think i know that song dun, 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 dun. treat you better <laughs> does, does not ring a bell <laughs> <laughs> uh i think legally we can play 15 seconds of it but we won't so oh yeah it's uh, uh I will it's one s- of his uh it's one of his bangers <laughs> interesting well miley cyrus's uh upcoming album plastic hearts miley cyrus goddess of the pod oh um, totally goddess of the pod so available for streaming now is midnight sky which is a, a really great song yeah we very approve we approve very reminiscent of uh stevie nicks's uh edge of 17 yeah yeah there's a there's there's a sample yeah also she has been really supporting the polish protests which go off queen i fully support Mm -hmm. it yeah it's uh you know we're we're a country of almost 40 million so we appreciate what we can get there's just I, I don't know how to put the, my finger on it, but there's just like southern humility at the core of Miley Cyrus that I don't think that fame can corrupt her beyond sort of repair. Yeah, I um, I feel like no matter what missteps she's made or you know the criticism, I feel like she's genuinely well intentioned, mm-hmm. especially considering her upbringing, like being born into this famous family and you know being a child star and all that i feel like she's pretty well adjusted given all that because yeah true most other people under all those conditions are a train wreck rightfully so and Mm -hmm. you know she's dealt with her issues but I think she wants a better she world. What, what issues? She doesn't really have issues. No, but I mean, I think there's been like some addiction issues in the last couple of years, which she's addressed. And yeah, not well, that, that comes with a ter- yeah, that yeah, comes I'm, with a territory of uh, childhood. And child no, no, exactly. And I'm not saying uh, it's like a moralistic thing or anything, but yeah. um, I think given, like I said, her upbringing and child stardom, she's pretty well adjusted. Um, mm-hmm. And, and she also she just makes really great cover version choices. Yeah, which many have actually criticized. They're like, "Why are you constantly just releasing covers? Where's the album?" And it's like, I mean, excuse me, like in the sixties and seventies, all these like singers, not even singer songwriters, but these like folk singers, the whole industry was based around like the best iterations. Exactly. And, well, and hello, Proud Mary. It's like, yeah, exactly. How like what year did I learn that Proud Mary was a cover? like yeah. uh, 15 years into loving the song i learned it was a cover so yeah yeah it was totally that era ch- there's something like nostalgic and at the same time pretty smart about kind of building your own 
persona around your selection of the cover songs you release. I feel like so her last release was Heart of Glass by Blondie. And uh, she really like took it for a spin. Yeah. It's like I, I couldn't have uh, picked a better person to have covered this song. She does sound like there's some like polyp issue. Her voice is very <laughs> like borderline strained on the uh, live recording. Of I'm, this song. I'm worried about her pipes. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Has, do, did she have polyps or anything like vocal cord polyps? Was that a I thing? Know, publicly? But it's, maybe, maybe it's just the choice of songs maybe. that you choose. Like, um, I don't know. I will say, let's just uh, give her some respect. Two of the most iconic pop songs are uh, hers, "The Climb." Oh, that from the Hannah Montana song, which yeah. I'm just dying to uh karaoke with you oh i can't wait maybe we could do that on an episode <laughs> oh yes and uh last but not least uh, party in the usa yeah which was One written by uh, british icon jesse j <laughs> jesse j is that her name yeah that uh wasn't it like jesse Ware or am i thinking no, no, jesse Ware is that kind of like folksy girl who's like on a song with Nicki minaj uh no jesse J is like bang bang into the room because <laughs> <laughs> uh because the opening of party in the usa is like like my jet touchdown at lax it's her yeah. flying from the uk uh landing at lax and you know having her american oh, moment I thought- I thought it was a uh, referencing that scene in Hannah Montana where she <laughs> flies from the south to LA and almost missing her best friend's uh, 16 oh, no. uh, birthday party. And there's Spo- a, like, spoiler a, alert. I haven't seen it yet. Spoiler. <laughs> I've uh, I've watched it a couple of times already, <laughs> only because the climb is like the the ending song of the movie, and it's just totally worth it. And also, it's a Disney movie, and so they're not like tediously long and they're fun to watch yeah uh, my concentration span has just been diminished aggressively ever since covid started oh, so totally. i can only handle disney movies oh i watched scream on halloween that was good i don't think i've ever seen it what okay mm-hmm. scream is iconic and kind of going back to that question about like postmodernism and all that it's like actually scream is kind of the last gasp of uh, postmodernity. There's mm-hmm. a, a lot of self-reference, reference to uh, other horror films. Uh, it's a smart horror movie. It it was kind of the first one to break away with cliches mm-hmm. uh, in the horror was genre. Was it by the same guy who did uh, Showgirls, like Paul Verhoeven, whatever no, his name is? It was so. It was written by Kevin Williamson or Williamson. Uh, he, uh, famously of Dawson's Creek fame, he, oh, yeah. he like created and wrote Dawson's Creek, but it's funny because da- Dawson's Creek in Israel was just translated to Dawson Creek <laughs> as if that was his Dawson first Creek. and last name, Dawson Creek. <laughs> um, and then it was directed by Wes Craven, who's like a famous, uh, oh, horror, yes, horror director. That's, that's yeah. what I was thinking of Wes Craven. And it's very worth watching. Like the first three are amazing. And there's such a good cast and it's such a good uh, just snapshot of that moment of like the late 90s. But it mm-hmm. still feels very timeless. Uh, so please what watch did it. Pul- what did Paul Verhoeven do? Uh, Some Scientology direct. things. I don't know. 
<laughs> Basic Instinct, Robocop, Robocop, Total Recall, amazing. Oh, amazing movie. Um, yeah. Oh well. So what's uh, right. what's on the docket? What's okay. on the agenda today? Okay. Well, uh, in <clears throat> recent news, <laughs> the Brooklyn Museum, your favorite, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Physically close to me, but very distant in uh, interest. I haven't been back there since they reopened the museums. Well, okay, so they're going to organize... Oh, sorry? I don't think I've seen a single good show in the Brooklyn Museum. I'm just trying to, trying to scan my memory of uh, past shows. Okay, well... Um, yeah. Well, my... Okay. You know I've been to New York numerous countless times we've hung out a lot you live not too far from it have we ever gone to the brooklyn museum together no there you go i mean their <laughs> collection's not that interesting the building is just way too big i'm assuming there's some like budgetary discrepancy between how to like best utilize the space and there's just so much emptiness there um, yeah well, they would like really you know uh, profit from i guess moving into a smaller space but yeah. what do i know well, the Brooklyn Museum will organize a major survey of works by former street artist Cause, uh, <laughs> otherwise known as Brian Donnelly, in 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, and was that pushed back? Was that supposed to open earlier? No idea. Was that? Okay. But uh, just as a reminder, this is the same museum where you could have a solo exhibition as the winner of Work of Art, seasons one and two, uh, as seen on Bravo. Which uh, we should watch and review on the pod. Oh, yeah. I think we're going to have a friend of the pod, Alita, on as a third mic to dissect the magic of Work of Art mm-hmm. and Gallery Girls coming up. Yeah. Can you uh, just take a step back and describe uh, Cause briefly to our listeners, those who don't know him? Um, okay, if uh, if you follow Justin Bieber or Kylie Jenner's ex-boyfriend Tyga on Instagram, uh, you've probably seen a Cause artwork. Uh, Cause is a former street artist. Um who does these kind of cartoon hardline graphic figures? Uh, some re- some appropriations from uh, pop culture, yes, like Elmo and yeah. But they have these X's for eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, famously, famously, I believe it was last year there was that work which was that Simpsons poster appropriated, which is all the Simpsons characters that ever appeared on oh, screen. Sarge. Sergeant Pepper-esque yes, album cover. Exactly. And I remember being a teenager and going to the poster store at the mall called Athena. Uh, you could buy that poster of all the Simpsons characters. And yeah, so that was millions upon millions of dollars at auction. Mm-hmm. And uh, people love to buy those cause dolls. I mean, they're they're cute. I guess if it wasn't such a uh, such an intensity like market value bonanza, I would also maybe put down uh, fifty dollars to buy one. 
and put on my windowsill. Yeah. I don't understand the uh, the whole sort of a, um, um, the whole trading insanity behind it. Yeah, I mean it's it's like the kind of collector that buys like supreme collaborations and skateboard decks and like skateboard collaboration art which mm-hmm. is like fine f- if it floats your boat yeah. uh i don't know it just feels a bit juvenile to me and there's, i there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> i get why the brooklyn museum is doing it they need to make money it's it's why uh klaus biesenbach put together a bjork exhibition at moma which was universally panned um, it was ter- it was terrible. It could have been amazing, but it was terrible. I mean, the idea was good, the intentions were good, but the exhibition execution was just uh, it really fell flat. And also, oh, just totally. a quick just a quick side note: like I'm seeing on uh, uh, so taking a step back, cause is uh, sort of he shows with a Skarstedt, and he's known to have been a, a pretty sort of extensive extensive collector of the gallery. So before he sort of rose to prominence through uh, representation of his own work. Uh, he used to just, you know, collect artwork and invest in art uh, with the money you'd make out of his, uh, you know, figurines and other stuff. And uh, I'm just looking at the artist list on the Scarset website, and uh, Scarset shows uh, Baselitz and Koenig and Carol Dunham and all these people, but also George Kondo. And to me, that is sort of the, like, I can draw a straight line between George Kondo and Cause, like, yeah, just sort of uh, the cartoon yeah. kind of um, entering into uh, something more highbrow. But, uh, you know, we got this question in our mailbag from Dennis. It said, how to get famous or be successful in art? Well, that's a good way. Uh be rich and be a collector and if you well just to play devil's advocate he's uh he's self-made in that uh respect no for sure i know in terms of becoming a collector he seems altogether like a pretty uh um grounded and chill sober guy yeah he was on work of art actually oh really yeah on season one he was a guest judge Mm -hmm. uh and that was sorry yeah Whose career did he uh, help uh, catapult? Was it, is it Julie Curtis's or? I'm sorry, feminists. I'm mixing up two female artists who have recently uh, sort of blew up. Uh, there's Julie Curtis, and the other one is uh, is Julie Curtis French? Yes, she's French. Okay, one of them was either studio assistant of his or something, and he helped uh, very you know graciously. Oh. I'm thinking of one artist who Richard Prince started featuring prominently on his Instagram uh, feed. Who Emily Radikowski, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, we're we going to have to talk. I'm going to. Oh, we love her. We love Mem- we, member of the national tribe. Yeah, uh, both. Also, of, she's pregnant. Yeah, she's pregnant now, and I saw her husband uh, in the village the other week. Uh, he's so hot. Yeah, she's she, dealer. She's a member of all our tribes. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Wait, can you? Do we have to bleep yeah. that out? <laughs> <laughs> we are okay. Um. No, but I I see the connection between Julie Curtis and Cause because there are those Cause paintings or whatever you refer to them as, which are kind of the close up, high graphic shots, and I see the the parallel to the Julie Curtis works. 
Uh, but <laughs> speaking of French people, should we uh, should we address something that blew up on Instagram today? Are you talking about Emily in Paris? <laughs> 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 Yeah, mm. what uh, what blew up on Instagram? Uh, so I saw a few people post uh, an artwork that's being sold at a charity fundraiser. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So... Okay. What is, what is the fundraiser for? Okay, so according to our friends at Artnet News, uh, Q Amir... <laughs> Hold on, I'm trying to pull up the link. Our uh, friends at Artnet News. Our Bible. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little brain dead. Uh, I blame Trump. Uh, so Cardi B, David Hockney, and other creative stars made artworks for an auction benefiting the families of slain black women. See them here, says the headline. Uh, and it's an auction. Organ- says, the, says the clickbait. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Click See it. them here in the headline. But uh, the auction is organized by the African American Policy Forum. Uh, so, in the story, there's uh, there's there are you know known visual artists such as Rashid Johnson, uh, Nancy Rubin, Kodansky artist. Yeah. <laughs> I.e. our last episode. Yeah, exactly. Go back if you haven't listened. Uh, George Kondo, David Hockney. Uh, and then there are celebrities such as uh, your favorite Amir, Billie Eilish, oh my God. <laughs> uh, Usher, my favorite, um, and Br- Bruno Mars, Oh, who grew up in Hawaii, if I'm not mistaken, and a good friend who uh, shall not be named uh, said he has a small penis, Ooh. allegedly, but uh, you didn't hear it from me. And as friend of the pod, uh, Goretti Lyko of Little Canal, our favorite place, uh, she always loves to tell me, you know, he's Filipino. Um, yeah. So I never got into him. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, not a fan. It's a it's similar music to uh, Lizzo. It's a it's a pastiche. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. it's like fun, but just a, a mishmash of styles. Uh, historic styles. Oh, did I tell you? Did I tell you I went to get coffee the other day and across the street from the deli, there's these three Glossier ad campaign <laughs> <laughs> plastered on a construction site, and the ad campaign is like extreme close-ups of like body fat rolls and other like glistening like uh, body parts with the Glossier plastered on it, like the Supreme logo. And I was getting my coffee and I saw that like three, three Muslim man, uh, like apparently so, uh, were like trying to scrape off and remove the, the ad campaign posters from, oh my uh, God. from the construction site. Um, just a little, uh, just a little story. It sounds shady. And uh, mm-hmm. maybe I should insert my fat rolls in there. Yeah, but maybe they'll team, be gone. Team no one. Yeah, team no one. Uh, <laughs> maybe after I do my uh, hunger strike in support of the uh, protests here and lose twenty kilograms, they'll be gone. Um, I should go on a, on a hunger would strike. Would you like to go on a? Stand-tale. Would you like to go on a solidarity with Polish women hunger strike with me? That sounds. Uh, yeah, with all the COVID fat, I feel like that's a good way to lose some weight. Yeah, and then we're not in the risk zone when we lose weight. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 
Like Chris Christie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he deserves to be made fun of, so it's okay. Uh, Okay. Anyways, going back to the fundraiser. Going back to the fundraiser. Okay, so most of the works are, you know, like what you think of when you think of signs at protests, uh, which we fully support. And then somehow Camille Enroe comes into the picture. <laughs> Who is Camille Enroe, Shamak? Uh Camille Enroe uh, is a noted French artist. Uh, I will pronounce her name in the American way, Henrot, in case you're trying to Google it. Because <laughs> uh, I don't want to be pulling a MSNBC and just doing accents all day. Um, oh, yeah. I think code, code switching is legitimate on this pod. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like, uh, people like David Hockney did something where it's text and it's cute and says love life and lives and beauty. Uh, oh, there's a Jim Carrey contribution as well. Oh, which our is favorite. A, as a porn as his work is actually the work is not that bad. It's just the context of being shown in a major, uh, setting of a, uh, mid tier LA gallery that kind of like <laughs> was a cluster fuck of cringe. Yeah. They're um, doing so a there's Grimes a, show there. Yeah. Uh, Galleries Macaron. <laughs> uh, spaghetti so, noodle water, <laughs> as <laughs> Lena Dunham famously said in uh, uh, Tiny Furniture. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there's contributions by Kenny Scharf, Marilyn Minter, um, Lenny Kravitz yeah. as well, with an actual painting that doesn't look so bad. It's like a weird, like, expressionist version of the American flag. Yeah. And, and actually, no, he's in the picture, and I don't see any cock ring. <laughs> <laughs> so I fully appreciate uh, these works. You know, they feel like they are protest signs or protest art. But then you get to the Camille Enroe work, uh, uh, which is a bird with a thought bubble, very similar to all her other work in a kind of faux naive, you know, loose painterly style. Uh, and I guess the bird's a blue jay, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should know as a Canadian, but I guess it's a blue jay. as a blue head. And the bird is thinking Brianna Taylor. Ugh. No, why, why, why does that strike us as a little uh, cringy? Is it the fact that her dad's a major uh, banker in France? Yeah, like a wealthy investment banker. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say that children of wealthy people can't be, uh, you know, socially engaged, but I think this just comes across tacky. It is a little tacky. And I f- something about it being too similar to her work where Whereas the other artists, there's more of a disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't feel like, I guess it, I get it's a fundraiser, but uh, it just feels like it makes a tragedy flippant. Like when you see the way this is visually communicated and it's about this tragedy and someone being murdered by the police and it's like a bird thinking Brianna Taylor. Yeah. 
Like, it kind of makes you th- it makes you uh, go back to the uh, Dana Schutz um, 2017 biennial and her painting of uh, Emma Till. Yeah, the open casket, and there was a lot of uh, there was a controversy around it, namely that uh, she a work sort of depicting black trauma and that specific moment in black history shouldn't necessarily be uh, brought on by a by a white female artist which you can think what you will about it uh controversy ensued and it's just kind of weird to me that in 2020 there seems to be no like lessons or takeaways sort of implemented yeah and that connects well to a question we got uh from krista uh frequent listener frequent writer we love her uh she said what are your thoughts about funding white men who do cultural appropriation uh i think the two things we just mentioned even though they're not men it connects in the way that it'll sort itself out because you look at this and everyone's just like what the fuck are you doing Mm -hmm. like the only person that would see that this is great and she's aware is like a sycophant collector or gallerist because i feel like anyone else would look at this and be like what is your connection to this like why is this something you need to invoke in your work i mean in her defense i will say that it uh pretty much looks like anything else that she makes aesthetically and uh it might make it easier to sell because it's not a, like an aesthetic outlier yeah. in her practice uh i feel like i'm just scrolling up to the george condo contribution there's a there's a portrait of him with his just like text canvas in his studio it looks like he's like uh, it looks like a hostage like <laughs> screenshot of him in his studio yeah well it also looks like um he spilt a bunch of things on it after like accidentally yeah like oh, like oh fuck my styrofoam lunch container got knocked over on it what's that uh what's that jerry salts hbo documentary who? from like last year <laughs> i you can believe you can believe it out later yeah i don't know who that uh person is <laughs> what was that documentary on hbo last year the price a price of everything oh yeah yeah uh there's uh so george condo is featured prominently in the uh in the documentary i'm sure it was paid for because there's all these like action shots of him painting in his studio in his in like a suit and uh sneakers and he just seems to like churn out these like these signature cartoon-esque like picasso um god uh, Picasso like like faces and it just seems like there's an endless production in his mechanism I don't know why I'm bringing this up yeah. uh, it just strikes me funny because he created this really like pared down text contribution for this yeah. fundraiser anyway I get it would be easier to sell but if I walked into someone's house and saw that I would be cringing and mortified I feel like the, the, all these fundraisers and the uh the works that are sold in them, it just seems like they, you know, fare better at a Smithsonian collection yeah. for like, you know, the spirit of the political times or something. Like I, that. I also think that 99% of the people involved in this fundraiser are so wealthy. They should just 
donate the money uh, <laughs> that the works would make. Like, there just shouldn't, I don't know. Like, David Hockney, however much the sign will go for, can very easily just, like, okay, here's the money. George Kondo as mm-hmm. well. Marilyn Minter. Like, everyone. Usher. Yeah. It's, um... David Hockney and those fucking iPad paintings. Uh, and, like, Man. a twink found floating in his pool. <laughs> <laughs> He's good friends with Joni Mitchell, so I like I have a hard time uh, <laughs> espousing any hatred towards him. I'm not hateful. I'm just uh, just uh, recounting timelines. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I guess that settles it. Okay, full disclosure: nature called, and we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Should I start? It's really cold in here. What can I do? <laughs> Should I start eating on the podcast like some of our favorite other podcasts? Some delicious dish. <laughs> I'm Terry Joe McCullen. I have that episode's transcript uh, up and uh, ready to uh, recite at any given moment. <laughs> in, case, in case this episode falls flat, you're ready. Yeah. Should I start clinking some ice and <laughs> chewing candy? <laughs> Wait, I can just start smoking my jewel right into the microphone as opposed to uh, stepping back. Okay, can we hear it once? That will only be available to our Patreon subscribers. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, if you want us to get to two episodes a week, please share this podcast with your friends uh, and subscribe. Subscribe. Subscribe to our feeds. Yeah, our feeds on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you click follow on there, leave us five stars, write glowing reviews, because mm-hmm. um, we're ready to be full-time podcasters, so. Yep. All right, so. Yeah, what's uh, what's our next topic? Okay, so something else that's been blowing up uh, Instagram Across the pond. Across across the pond. <laughs> Hello, governor. The only way is Essex. <laughs> okay, don't don't turn it off now. UK friends, we love you. <clears throat> uh okay, well okay, so we yeah, we got a suggestion, yeah. uh, a hot tip on uh, on our Instagram account. Uh I'm gonna read it. Which is it's by thoughts. Uh, on art with a zero please with a zero please follow us uh so follow instagram follower jack fr burton wrote us uh dear thoughts on art Uh, question too long for the questionnaire on instagram grayson perry stalwart of the uk art scene and self-styled man of the people recently made a very misjudged statement in which he said covid has gotten rid of the dead wood in the art world it has horrible Thatcher Reagan feel to it, and one can only think of artists in small galleries squeezed by property prices and an art market increasingly indifferent to work that is not in a listicle, who are uh, who are now facing unemployment without a trust fund to lean on. However, one thing that has seemed conspicuous during this year is that while artists and small gallerists have generally responded in interesting ways to the pandemic or have felt okay about talk, taking the time out for self-care and care of others, there has been no convincing 
um, alternative from art fairs or art fair organizers. Sorry, online art fairs have generally been as good as a PDF or at worst something you have to sign up to and are given a time slot within which to view the website. Even the galleries and artists I know who actually make money at fairs complain about them, and I have personally not heard anyone lament them this year, though gallery shows have been sorely missed. Can we now imagine a world without art fairs? And if so, how would it look? Yes. <laughs> okay, so the uh, aforementioned interview... Um, yeah, we'll start. We'll, we'll rewind to the, the beginning. Yeah, uh, with Grayson Perry, who just a quick disclosure: out of complete ignorance, uh, I had to look up. Yeah, I didn't same. know who Grayson Perry was. <laughs> yeah, <I've, laughs> I I had heard the name, and the Wikipedia article mentioned that he was, you know, one of these protagonists in uh, that famous non-fiction bestseller seven days in the art world which i read and did not remember that grayson perry was in it mm-hmm. is he like a yba what is he what generation does he pertain to maybe he he seems around the same age as them and he also has an art ho haircut so oh yeah he looks like a surf like a uh s-e-r-f like a <laughs> medieval <laughs> surf like a yeah, there's uh, some photos. His hair looks great. It's like side parted and swept to the side, and I wish I had these kinds of curls. And then uh, mm-hmm. other photos, like you said, it looks like a S-E-R-F surf. That's not a turf. That's a <laughs> Although I guess it is like turf bangs. It's not bangs. an acronym. It's yeah. like turf bangs. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the shorter the bangs are, the angrier you are. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, anyways, he's a Turner Prize winner. A uh, big figure in the uh, in the art scene, an educator as well um, in the UK, and also has a BBC Four uh, like art reality show with his wife, who's a psychiatrist, if I'm not mistaken, a psychotherapist. Psychotherapist. Sorry, I, I'm like probably stating so much of the obvious now to people who know him and uh, or to our you know friends across the pond. Um. But yeah, he's uh, made some claims or statements about the art world sort of taking, I guess I'm paraphrasing him, taking a necessary hit during COVID, uh, survival of the fittest sort of um, style, Lord of the Flies, and saying that he's, it, the, sort of the whole business is now shedding this like unnecessary weight, and it's uh, in a sense kind of a... Um, um, a blessing in disguise this whole uh, catastrophe what's your take on it um can i just go so through a few yeah let me just a, a couple of quotes from the uh, interview um so the turner prize winning artist grayson perry has said the coronavirus pandemic has had the effect of cutting the deadwood from the art from the arts by getting rid of exhibition only put on to impress other curators. Okay, so that um, last that last line, he's not wrong. Not wrong. <laughs> it's just very difficult because we, we read through the uh, interview and it, in and of itself, sort of on its face, everything's highly agreeable. <laughs> well, yeah, and we're not we're not like conservative haters or anything, but uh, the reaction I've seen on Instagram, like from accounts like Freeze Magazine, 
which you all know, I'm sure, the meme account. Or like that's F R double E Z E magazine. Uh, they're like basically calling for him to be let go from uh, his position. Yeah. Or was that that account or someone else? I don't know. It's just yeah. like, uh, as I've said before, there's so much work created and nothing is amazing and nothing's terrible. It's, yeah. it's all subjective and relative. So... And there's an interesting quote here that we uh, we mentioned when uh, we had our pre-recording discussion. He says, um, I think every part of life has probably got a bit of fat that needs trimming, a bit of dead wood. It's awful that the culture sector has been decimated, but I think some things needed to go. Too often, the audience for culture is just the people making it. Theaters with whole audiences of actors or exhibit exhibitions only put on to impress other curators. I think to a certain extent, he's absolutely right. Um, I'm only thinking of like the numerous uh, aggressively didactic surveys and exhibitions I've seen in museum contexts uh, in the past five years that I just, you know, visit the museum and would ask myself, who is this? Who's the audience for this show? Who is this appealing to? It just feels like a concoction of like either a think tank or like, a group of overly educated, underpaid people who just came up with the least attractive, most like intellectually complex nut to crack. Um, yeah, that's that's my idea of the excess fat in the art world. Yeah, I, um, like I, there's two reactions that I have to this. Uh, I think. There are a lot of artists who neglect that there is an audience and that somebody is looking at the work and trying to understand it and trying to enjoy it or have some sort of emotional reaction to it. And when you make a film that's screened uh, in a cinema setting where it's like basically a live action freeze frame that's eight minutes long per scene as I saw once. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, what am I supposed to feel here? Uh, sheer boredom. Yeah. And I just feel like it's disrespectful of the audience. It's like, great, you had an idea and now I have to sit through this <laughs> and be I mean, tortured. There's, there's kind of unintentional hostage mentality with some artworks these days where you're just going to do it your way and that's the only way or the highway and whoever views it or sees it is essentially you're like you're, you're you take them hostage yeah especially with time time-based media because they literally are hostage yeah. it's like i yeah. can't leave this performance right now cuz i'm going to walk in the path of the performers yeah I mean, I have a strong aversion to anything of the durational, like any yeah. any screening of anything in a, a gallery or museum context. I just, I'm I'm not, I don't gravitate towards it. And if anything, it, it repels me. Like, I feel like it has to like go the extra mile to attract me to it. Yeah. Um, and you might get set on fire if you go to <laughs> some, some performances. Yeah. <laughs> 
I will point out some, like for some reason like if you had, if you put a gun to my head and ask me uh, what the most like uh, you know impactful video work that I've seen I can think of uh, Arthur uh, Arthur Jaffa um, Love is the Answer um, that sort of photo montage that's set to a Kanye song that kind of combs through black history and black uh, the black experience in just such a like punch to the gut way. And I saw it at the Hirschhorn a few years back. And he essentially did the work for you in terms of making a cohesive, uh, like very tight work of art that only requests of you to kind of like submit to it and it will do the rest of the work. And that's something that I feel like is com- just completely lacking in most of the durational pieces that I that I am asked to engage in. Yeah. I guess the thing... I understand why people are upset. It's probably coming off in a... How do you say it? Uh, it's it's insens it's it's, it's insensitive, insensitive because he's a successful artist. He has a Turner Prize. He has a BBC show. He heads an art department at a university. Like it's easy for you to say, "Oh, the dead weight got cut." Because guess what? He's also dead weight, like or dead wood. Sorry, um, but he's also right. Yeah, he's also right. <laughs> but it comes off insensitive. So I don't want anyone to be suffering or anyone to not be doing well. Uh, I know I said there's no amazing work, no shitty work. You know what? There actually are some things that are super shitty and like no one wants to engage with them. And maybe one day they'll find an audience. But what's like apart from everyone having universal basic income, like what is the solution to that being supported like it's not going to be funded like you'll apply for grants and not even get grants if it's shitty Mm -hmm. and no one will show it and no one will buy it and like maybe your friends will come see the show if you have a show and like sorry i sound like a harsh bitch but like it's like if you're a chef and have a restaurant just because you try and make an effort if no one sees value in it or it doesn't taste good Like, that is something we have to consider as artists. Like, there's an audience, and people have to be basically entertained. And entertain means a lot of things. Like, reading a very, you know, like, thought-provoking book is entertaining. Mm -hmm. Or listening to difficult music is entertaining. It's something that occupies your time. But if no one wants to make time for your work they're not being entertained vice vice versa Mm -hmm. so um i don't kill us yeah and and just to to add on to that i take just the slightest of issues with the way the question was uh uh was formed uh he's asking he's he's sort of saying that the uh the whole interview has like a horrible thatcher reagan feel to it and if anything i would say that the whole business market is just so wired and is operating in like thatcher reagan-esque terms at this point that i don't know that his views of the so-called like uh, survival of the fittest moment in terms of some stuff being dead weight not like being a part of the very system that people want to participate in um i mean the art world currently is pretty much a, a battlefield in terms of who gets 
who gets their foot in the door. Maybe that's just my very cynical approach to it. But uh, I feel like if you want to emerge out of this moment successful, you just have to recalibrate and like figure out what, what the new sort of conditions of the moment are and just adjust yourself to it. Um, I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm not very optimistic about the future of the art world becoming more democratic or more sort of accessible and open to everyone because if anything i just see the the like aggressive capitalist tendencies only getting harsher as a result of covid with sort of less wealth uh to go around and more select few kind of opportunities uh coming to the forefront um i guess there's I don't have a, like a clear statement to make about this because it's just this whole interview requires you to have two thoughts at the same time, or as the political pundits like to call it, uh, eating and what is that like eating, uh, walking and eating the cookie at the same time, or whatever. Some, <laughs> eating some both stupid, sides uh, of the black and white cookie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You gotta um, look to the cookie. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, I hope I hope this Biden argument wasn't too uh, <laughs> cohesive. <laughs> yeah, no, I oh, yeah. want the best for artists, but I think we, it's kind of like we have the power within us to try to do something better. No one, I don't know, it's a rich man's game. Sadly. And also, I'm sorry, but like, it's there's a global pandemic, and we're not talking about the fair distribution of, you know, bread to starving people. This is a uh, this is a non-essential business, and uh, yeah, because this, this whole notion of like fairness, sort of to be baked into this cake, is just completely flawed. I think like just approaching this field with a notion that everything should be. Uh, you know, accommodating and fair to whoever wants to participate is just, it's dishonest. It's wrong. It's just not factually true. Um, and yeah, the discussion shouldn't sort of depart from that base yeah. assumption. Well, because it's one of the few fields where you, it's like, okay, because I want to be a part of this professional field, I am a part of it. Whereas, most other things that you would study at college or university, once you're finished, there's hurdles and hoops to get through. You know, like just because you don't. Yeah, exactly. Like just because you want to be a doctor doesn't mean you're a doctor, or, or just because you want to be a social worker doesn't mean you're a social worker. Yeah, it's interesting that you put it that way because, like, you know, for the 10 years that uh, aspiring MDs have to put in in, in, in their education, uh, you could parallel that to like an artist having to do a ten year worth of legwork outside of school just to sort of get their get their engine started. Yeah. So I don't know. My kind of final verdict on this whole brouhaha is he comes across as insensitive. Maybe if it was something someone said verbally in your presence, it would come across differently. You know, there's no context of like vocal inflection or anything mm -hmm. uh i don't know but I, i'm also reading this new york times uh interview that he gave when his bbc4 show uh started airing and he's got some like beautifully astute um ideas about art he was asked uh 
why has there been such a boom in art making during the pandemic? And he answers, art is a process. It's expressing yourself and doing something and throwing yourself into it and getting better at it and trying again. That's what it's about. And people are responding to that now. It's going right back to cave painting. You pick a charcoal stick from the fire and draw on the wall. There's something very primal about it, and it's a lot more accessible than other crafts. You can do it with your phone. You can do it with some sticks from the garden, your pen, and a pit uh, of old paper. So that's uh, that's the other side of his um, insensitive coin, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to watch that show, but I mean, I feel like BBC Four is so impenetrable <laughs> to my IP address. I think I think US. if you put a VPN on, you can use their iPlayer. That really slows um, down everything, though. Yeah, I don't know. He comes across really insensitive, but I don't think he should like lose his job. Um, you know, I wish that why when I was it, why uni- is it in for, university. Yeah, why is it? For, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, when I was in university, I wish people would be more realistic about, like, guess what? When you leave this bubble, it's actually really difficult. You're probably going to fail in this profession. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, like, let's get you prepared for that. And, you know, maybe he's acknowledging the problem. It's kind of like hitting rock bottom and going to rehab. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's I mean, like, the, trick, the, the tricky part about the so-called being a failed artist is that a failure is not a sort of singular one-off event in your career. It's sort of a death by a thousand cuts. And, yeah, yeah. But uh, there is no failure. Like, it's when you give up. That's when you're a failed artist. Uh, yeah, I guess failure might be not being able to uh, make rent. That would be a glaring red flag. Uh I don't know. It's like been there, done that. Like, <laughs> like I'm still have exhibitions and sell work and stuff, but there's times where you're like, I can't like, I have 200 bucks left and no money's coming in. And mm-hmm. you know, you wait a while and it turns around and yeah, I don't know. It's I funny it's because like I always go, yeah, I always go back to thinking about the differences between uh Chagall and Soutine, both, uh, both were working in France at a very specific time in a, in the expressionist era and uh, Chagall, you know, coming from a wealthy background and Soutine coming from like dirt poor background and how it's sort of was translated into their work. Um, that's the thing that just keeps me going, the ability to kind of, you know, channel those hardships uh into into your work regardless of you know where it's heading whether it's gonna pay the rent or whatever sorry i'm getting a little romantic about it no 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 it's okay (laughs) anyway uh artists are a failure when they give up (laughs) no um no one's a failure we we deem them a failure here on the pod yeah martial court yeah no no one's a failure but um and also, no one should lose their job just because a couple of people online decided that this person's like canceled beyond a uh, canceled irrevocably. Well, I just don't think what he said is a reason to be canceled. It's like mm-hmm. he should be canceled if he's like being racist and hateful and doing a shitty job and like sexually assaulting people. That's yeah. a reason why, you know, there should be a student uprising, but not because it's like he doesn't believe in us. It's like, 
I'm sure as we speak, there's like heavy oppo research into whether he's ever, uh, you know, inf- uh, committed any atrocities of the sexual kind. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I think it's like you have to. It's like if you want to be a successful artist, you have to put in the work. You have to have something to offer. You have to have some skill or idea or something that people see value in. But past that, there is a big element of like being in the right place at the right time and luck. And it just, it's like any field where all these things have to come together Mm -hmm. for the machine to start working. Yeah. And I also think a very fortunate artist to be successful or to be considered successful is an artist who, um, enjoys whatever whatever level or size of success they are experiencing at the moment because you could be you know the biggest art star out there and either feel like you haven't accomplished yet or that the nature of your accomplishment is not exactly sort of in tandem with what you had wished for and kind of constantly having this like the grass is always greener on the other side mentality or just feeling generally insecure and that heavy feeling will just like carry over to wherever you go so success is an extremely subjective term in this context i think yeah like our leader madonna always uh oh i thought you were gonna say trump (laughs) no (laughs) she's uh one of the most famous women on earth and it seems like she still doesn't think she's accomplished enough there's always something more Yeah, and she just is clearly the very same girl that was sexually abused by um, then-partner Sean Sean Penn. She just seems like, you know, the same sort of potentially, like, fragile, Mm -hmm. yet extremely talented uh, and strong woman. Yeah. Well, okay, so there's the other part uh, to the question, which is uh, referencing art fairs and sort of how we see the future going mm-hmm. forward. And do we see a world without art fairs? What's your take on that? Um, maybe I'll mention something. I was talking. I was talking about this with Jordan the other day. Just generally speaking, about the freeze fair sort of paring down significantly, um, and. He just wanted to remind me that without these art events, there's like practically speaking, there's no reason for your gallery to reach out to collectors yeah. to sort of um, be in solicitation of the selling of work. Um, so I think for whatever form, smaller as it may be, that these new events take on, I think the significance of art events is still kind of, it still plays a crucial role uh, in galleries' ability to just move works because you can't just like cold approach collectors with no like for no good reason yeah is what i'm saying well i guess uh in theory if let's just say there were no art fairs and there never would be art fairs again i guess that would just be a regular occurrence like maybe it would be oh hey i'm touching base with you here's here's my monthly email of kind of interesting things i'm offering I mean, I get some of those emails from people and I never read them because they're, it's just so annoying yeah. to get them. Yeah, I guess it's it's just uh, creating creating the buzz where people are going to have FOMO. It's like, oh, I need to get on this because the art fair is next week and the first preview is on Wednesday. 
blah, 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 blah. Um, I mean, it was definitely bloated beyond recognition, but it doesn't mean that it has to be like decimated to oblivion yeah. altogether. Yeah, I think it uh, needs, as they like to say, a haircut. <laughs> like freeze, New York is moving uh, from that god awful island mm-hmm. <laughs> to the shed. They just Which announced that. smelled like sewer, sewage. <laughs> God, it was a nightmare to get to. Uh, yeah. I get that it's like Frieza's brand to have a tent for whatever reason, but like when that's your shtick, and then it starts raining, and the f- the tent starts flooding, and millions of dollars of artworks are getting destroyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like maybe not the best place to have an art fair. Um, I wonder if Billy Jean King was responsible for Freeze uh, moving out of Randall's <laughs> Island. <laughs> so yeah, it's moving to, sh- to the shed, which is problematic in its own ways. At least it's a retractable a uh, structure that could also function in an open air yeah. kind of setting. But I don't know. It's November 2nd now, and it's, what, seven months into this pandemic. I am not going into any art fair. Oh, no. I'm sorry. It's like, do you think opening the the confines of the shed is going to air out the COVID and the old people smell? Yeah. And w- what is it going to leave us with? Only like durable surfaces or performance pieces that can withstand the uh, the elements? <sighs> yeah. So it seems there's like half as many uh, exhibitors and stuff. Like I mentioned this a few episodes back. Maybe all these things just need to be more regional again. Like, mm-hmm. You know, okay, the event's happening, but maybe you don't need to travel halfway around the world. Just go to an art fair, you know, uh, I mean, I, to hobnob. Like, let's say you have 60 exhibitors and what, like a total of three or four staff members for every gallery. That's a lot of people to start with occupying the space. Yeah. And just think of like if those people come in from different, uh, different, uh, um, you know, corners of this, uh, of this nation, Los Angeles, other places like what are they going to be forced into quarantine for 14 days? Like yeah. it just doesn't sound very, uh, not even like, uh, it sounds risky for the, uh, for the, uh, visitors, but also for the staff, uh, gallery staff too. Cause they're sedentary for like the duration of the fair. Well, a friend of ours got COVID at a fair. Uh, <laughs> was it art Brussels? <laughs> it wasn't Major, a super spreader. It wasn't, but it was a it was an event in the Benelux area. It was a friend of the pod, Max, who was just remarking that I have not mentioned him as a friend of the pod yet. <laughs> well, here you go, Max. It contextually made sense. Finally, I'm sorry if I'm outing you as a COVID survivor, but <laughs> it was early on, like in March or whatever, and that's exactly what happens. It's like people are traveling here and there everywhere and all these people got infected and yeah it's like i mean that's an issue right now that like covid is not going to suddenly disappear so we have to keep that in mind but Mm -hmm. also again the there's the environmental aspect but also the cost like uh galleries i work with they're not huge rich galleries and it is such a crazy encumbrance for a gallery to send a crate of your work spend thousands of dollars and it's such a big risk because that's not the only cost you're paying to be in the fair you're sending staff over you have to get hotel rooms you have to go for dinner entertain people all that but like 
if you have one work that's unsold and has to go back in a crate, like that's really expensive to send back. Yeah. So you're spending thousands again, potentially, you know, and if you don't sell anything, then you're really screwed. You spent like $20,000. Yeah. You have exposure quote unquote, but uh, it's a hard business. I don't know. Maybe uh, we'll all be inoculated by uh, (laughs) May and this would make sense. I think like our Taipei that, uh, um, the Thailand, yeah. Is Taipei in Thailand? Am I an it idiot? The, the Vinky? Taiwan, sorry. Taiwan, Taiwan sorry. <laughs> uh, so I guess there was an art fair there a couple of weeks ago, and that was all indoors. But, you know, Taiwan's uh, you know famously got this under control. So it seemed sort of safe, but, like, trust the Europeans or the North Americans to botch this. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, I don't know. Not sure I'm going to... Uh, see freeze yeah when it comes to my town new york but i think maybe you know there's just more room or opportunity for these kinds of other models like the condos and the gallery swaps and the things like that um you know a lot of art fairs just the way they're planned out and spaced out i haven't enjoyed i think the one that i enjoyed the most was uh freeze la last year because it was at mm-hmm. Paramount Studios. Right. Uh, and that was so fun. Uh, I went with Jordan. And it's like you're walking around a film studio, which is amazing. Because, you know, it's this iconic place. Um, interesting to see. It was a good scale. There was an outdoor component with public works. There was uh, that backlot streetscape that looks like New York. They had a bunch of works installed there. They had really good food options. And it was actually like, oh, I actually want to hang out here all day, you know, with friends and run into people. Whereas kind of the usual model of like a convention center, isn't that fun? Oh, well, I mean, yeah. there's there's such an insane daylight between Art Basel Miami and like Nada Miami, which I've, you know, I've shown in uh, a few years uh, straight and I just love it there. It's a little uh, off the beaten uh, uh, path at the... Uh, at the ice palace is yeah. that what it's called but it's always such a nice vibe weather is great it feels very intimate uh you know the group of exhibitors that are members of nada are all basically like one big family yeah. and it just feels non-threatening uh collegial yeah and, yeah, and people uh, are really pleasant uh like the people that work for the fair but also the other exhibitors like uh shout out to jackie she was super sweet mm-hmm. really loved her and uh, yeah, and as impressive and important as uh, Art Basel Miami is, just the the experience of like setting foot in the uh, convention center, you just you feel lost even before you step foot in the uh, convention center. Yeah, before you go I through the just, uh, body scanner and yeah, exactly. That sort of predated COVID in terms of all the like TSA style checks that you now have at MoMA. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. I feel like uh, a lot of galleries and individual artists are left uh, to fend fend for themselves. And uh, sorry, it's a survival of the fittest kind of world. Sadly, and, um, sadly, yeah, let's just be honest about it. Yeah. So I think uh, pressure your local and national governments to 
not leave everyone behind, but I don't think the uh, capitalist art world will do it. Um, I mean, I don't know. Do do we really need like state funding in the states for the uh, for the uh, you know private commercial sector? No, not at all. Field? I don't. I don't no. think the issue is like uh, like funding the art world to alleviate this. I think it's more just a broader social issue. Like, I don't think people should be living in poverty. Um, so it's like if you're an if you're an artist, like there should be some government support so you can live but the same you know as anyone else Mm -hmm. but not like oh you're an artist so you're guaranteed this you know artist income like it sounds a bit like uh ddr to me and that's right east germany not the dance game (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and also trust americans in the uh, event of a bailout to just have like teams of lawyers and other shrewd like uh people of interest who walk in and find a way to squeeze more money out of it or just take it away from the people who actually need it yeah um yeah i'm sorry did i sound like a, a thatcher reagan uh <laughs> stan <laughs> oh. sorry love you jack jack's super sweet we had a really nice time working on the show together <laughs> Uh, he's in Brussels and I hope we get to hang out again soon. Um, yeah, no, I'm just more into kind of broader, uh, social services and things. I don't think it's like a, like an art council needs a bigger budget to just swallow up. I mean, let's just start with a uh, higher education for the arts being either free or very, very sort of affordable. Exactly. Um, like I'll say it again. I went to school in Germany. Yes, I had to learn German, but school was free. BFA, MFA was totally free of charge, even for foreigners. So you have to make that investment of, you know, learning the language and uh, a good amount of assimilation that's required just to like be able to function in that <laughs> in that environment, and even then you're you're completely left out of most like you know basic daily interactions because it's such a members only club. But uh, I will just I was not born here in the states, and so I will just never, never for the life of me understand this like high threshold. Uh, for like entry level just to make it as a uh, as a professional in this field by you know by really costly higher education schemes and then like everything just seems to have such a high price tag here yeah uh well it's the uh scam of the american dream you know it's like one of the most uh divided countries in the western world and it's only getting worse and everything is getting more expensive and people are earning less money and everyone's at each other's throats so (laughs) on that note (laughs) (laughs) on that note uh just a quick preview of next episode um we'll have a few other questions to get to uh such as can we get real bitchy and discuss artists who are considered successful but have no talent? Uh, that's courtesy of Rachel. And Interesting. <laughs> what would be the best theme for the next Venice Biennale? And that's from uh, MK Alexander. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to look up past themes for this because uh, I'm really uh, 
really clueless about the history of the biennials. Uh, I think one I one of them was uh, all the world's a stage, maybe. Oh yeah, I've also <laughs> never I've never been. Were we in uh, Tuscany when the biennial was still sort of on its last uh, few weeks? No, or was it already over it's, by it's then? It's usually over in the fall. Oh, okay. Uh, I was there five years ago. It was fine, but it was so hot. It was, you know, like 36 degrees Celsius in the shade. What is that, like 95 degrees Fahrenheit? It reminds me of that uh, Artnet News article about, like, uh, dealers and collectors recommend their, like, secret secret lunch spots in in Venice. (laughs) I'm at the Hotel Bauer having an entire sea bass. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Okay, well, well this might be the this might be the last time that I'll be recording. I might be uh, you know, enlisted under a, a newly conscription law to fight with the union as of uh, <laughs> as of Thursday. <laughs> you, so, or your trachea might get punctured. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you you can have my uh you can have my book collection and my my old stamps. I'm giving them to you. <laughs> oh, oh my god! god. All right. Alrighty. Okay. okay. We'll talk to you soon, Prashamik. Okay. Bye, Chusi. Bye, Chusikovsky. <laughs> <laughs>